Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information, which can be found nowhere else. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like Angela in Houston, who won last week's drawing. Congratulations, Angela. Your glow-in-the-dark starry zip pouch with the bright red zipper is in the mail. This week, it's my birthday week. I'm turning 49 on Sunday. And, as it happens, we're talking about one of my favorite cards this week, the Six of Swords, the Lord of Science, and a card of Journeys. Therefore, we're offering this week's winner a Tabula Mundi in Minima pocket-sized deck. It's perfect for all your journeys of the mind and body, as well as for the practice of portable magic. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners or send me birthday wishes at Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy. That's the officially unofficial Fortune's Wheelhouse group, where even now over 250 listeners are sharing their love of esoteric tarot and even planning a Fortune's Wheelhouse meetup for this fall. You could be one of them. Finally, if you have a moment and you haven't done it yet, please consider leaving us a review or rating on iTunes. It's free, it's easy to do, and it really does help spread the word. Thanks for doing that and helping us out. And now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to the Six of Swords, the Lord of Science or Earned Success. We are looking forward to this, uh, a point of balance between two relatively nasty termini. That earned success is a real interesting term, though, isn't it? Yeah. You can contrast that with um, the Six of Discs material success. Yeah. There's something passive about the Six of Discs where Stuff goes great, moon and ex- exaltation. Yeah, this one implies you had to work for it or that mm-hmm. something challenging came before it that you had to work at. Right. It's sort of like you had to think about it. You yeah, had to exactly. use your brain. You had to work it through. To me, the you know, the difference between those kind of success is like the difference between like a casino machine where you get ka-ching, you know, the whole payout with the six of uh, the six of discs where the coins come flooding out. Whereas this is like you level up in a game and you get some sort of like crown or something and yeah. it goes ding, ding, ding. Right. And you, you get be- points. You, you beat the monster. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's more theoretical. It's more like mm. n- the reward is just as great for our uh, endocrine receptors, but it's a different form. Anyway, so science earns it's more success. Of the, the reward is more like of knowledge. Yeah. When we talk about the term science in here, it's worth looking at that more closely, right? Because it's not necessarily experimentation, lab work, stuff like that, but science in the sense of literally meaning knowledge, scary to know that riddle of the Sphinx. And we're at the heart of that riddle now. We're all knowledge is the point. How fitting it is that Mercury is the ruler of this middle decan of Aquarius. So here is in that story of navigation that we tell in Aquarius, where we walk away from the unfamiliar in the Five of Swords, we take a risk, we uh, go looking 
for a better future. This is where we're actually doing that work of looking, where we apply our skills, our tools, our compasses and sextants and all of the theoretical instruments to make a journey towards a distant star. Yeah, it's like here's where the insight, we actually get the insight and we we see where we're going. It's kind of like when I think about the sign of Aquarius with its dual rulership of Saturn and Uranus. You know, Saturn gives that power of concentration and that structure and that discipline where Uranus gives that flash of insight Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's part of- The thing that makes you move. (laughs) Yeah, and it's part of, you know, science is partially doing the work and partially that flash of insight that leads to a breakthrough. The discipline to find something new. Yep. These Aquarius cards, it's just the most obvious thing, but when you think of the relationship with the star, one of the things that we've always used stars for is to find our way, not because they're bright, but because they stay in one place. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you know where they are in the sky, and if you, and you, and if you have that knowledge, you can draw a connection between your mind and that fixed point and aim towards it. I just love that about this card, the idea that all of the attributes of Mercury kind of come to bear, you know, God of travelers, God of magic, God of secrets, God of reading codes, God yeah. of divining, you know, uh, all of those things are are kind of inherent in this card. And you could even almost say, let's see, we've got, what are the five cards of Mercury? You've got um, the Mercury and Taurus, the worry card. You've got Mercury and Cancer, the abundance card. You've got Mercury and Virgo, the wealth card. Mercury and Sagittarius, the swiftness card. And, you know, a lot of those cards are pretty mercurial, but in a way, this one is the most because it's an air sign and Mercury is yeah. an air planet. Yeah, I think it's you know? really well placed. Yeah. In Mercury and Aquarius. It may it's- not be dignified or exalted, but it's really happy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's genius. Genius, exactly. So science, worry, abundance, wealth, swiftness. That's the portrait of Mercury. Mercury likes to be on the road, you know. Yeah. There's something definitely the god of travelers. Yeah, yeah. Austin says something about how he's the god of every road but no place. And I think about that a lot because I do my errands on Wednesday and I'm on the road. Every time I reach an intersection or a crossroad, I, and I'm often there at the hour of Mercury, on the day of Mercury, I will, you know, fire up a little hymn to Hermes because mm. there is something really comforting about knowing that even if you're in transition, you're supposed to be in transition. You're supposed to be on the road. You're supposed to be uh, doing stuff. You don't always have to be in one place or another. Good to and bring that, in Ganesh, too. Yeah. Removing He's of another obstacles. Mercur- another mercurial god. Right. If you can read the signs and the maps, then you are perfectly safe even while you are in motion. And that there's a god who can be there with you. I think that's... So great. <laughs> oh, so so we have lots to say that we just Googled about, about this time of year, 10 to 19 degrees of Aquarius and January 30 to February 8th. This is a really significant time of year because it contains a cross-quarter holiday uh, between the solstice and the equinox. So between the winter solstice and the vernal equinox in our hemisphere, and it includes the Festival of Imbolg or Candlemas, which is sacred to St. Bridget. Imbolg uh, literally means in the belly. So uh, Bridget is a fertility goddess, but it's not as if, you know, this is the time of year when it's about the seed being planted, yeah. not about the harvest of She's the grain. She's also a virgin goddess, which a is interesting. Goddess. It's a virgin fertility goddess. So That's you know, interesting. It's, it's, it's yeah. like the pre- it's like the pre-pregnancy, uh, you know, that time of year, I think we were talking about it before we were on air. For me, it's always the time where I start to feel hope that winter will end, you know, because you start noticing the light, the day's getting a little longer. It doesn't feel so dismal and dark. You can almost imagine that you feel the seeds and the buds of the trees just starting to awaken, even if you can't see it yet. Right. It's like the lock of winter's icy grip is loosening, even though you it's can't, not. You can't tell yet, <laughs> right. but you can feel it 
energetically, mm-hmm. even if you don't see it in the world around you quite manifest. And you were saying that you can hear the first birds. Yeah, the chickadees start making their mating call um, around that time. Even though it's a little too early for them to actually be mating, I think they're starting to take a look around. <laughs> checking it out. You hear, you hear their, what I call their spring song starts right around that time. Right. Oh, and it's also, we should mention mm-hmm. that that same holiday uh, time of year also contains um, Groundhog Day. Right. The, the weather divination, which, right. again, it's like, so there's how much a, longer will winter end? There's a tradition of weather divination that's associated with this holiday. It's not just our Groundhog Day, but uh, it was originally, you know, are the snakes coming out of the ground? Are the badgers coming out of the ground? Yep. Um, and it's also the um, Thalamic holiday, the Feast of Nuit. Yes, the Feast of the Stars, yeah? Yeah, the yeah. Feast of Stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Associated with Aquarius, of course. Yeah. Associated with the Star Maiden. And I think it even goes back to ancient Egypt. It was a holiday for, for Nuit or Nu. So the Star and Sky Goddess. Yeah, and Bridget as a as an icon of maidenhood and fertility is really interesting. You were, you looked up a tradition where there's a doll that is constructed for yeah, this holiday out of grain. Uh, I think in Ireland, barley was mm-hmm. used, but corn can be used or wheat or any any grain um, acceptably, and it would either be formed into a doll human form that was dressed and put in a cradle that would serve as an author for the year. Like this time of year, they would dress it in white for the bride. They mm-hmm. might throw... Um, so Bridget is cognate yeah, with bride. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nuts and stuff in there for the male aspect of fertility, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> now that I think about it. But sometimes people that didn't want to make a human doll because they thought that was creepy or whatever would weave a sun wheel instead, which mm-hmm. is the uh, solar cross. The solar cross, which we are so intimately familiar with. Again, the crossroads. Right. Which are associated with Mercury. Yes. Yep. The equal-armed cross being a sign of protection and a uh, form of the crossroads. Um, And also, uh, this this holiday is also called Candlemas. The lengthening of the light is associated with that. It's considered the official end of the Christmas season, but also... It's associated with young women. And I know that a lot of um, Scandinavian traditions on St. Bridget's Day, uh, Candlemas will have, you know, them wearing a crown, crown of lights. Of candles. Yeah. Which sounds yeah. kind of dangerous. It but sounds very, very dangerous. Yeah. And I think that there's a piece of a uh, cake or a cookie or something that you're supposed to keep in your freezer until the next year. I don't know. Maybe it's it's mm. sort of like Again, the bride that tradition. sounds like bride tradition yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think what lends these traditions such power is the reverence for light and darkness and the changing relationship with them. The acknowledgement of it. Yeah. You know, it's something that we tend to lose in these times. You know, you get so, you spend too much time in front of a screen Mm -hmm. and you're not looking at what's going on in the world around you. Yeah. (laughs) And just think about how important starlight was in a world without electricity. Oh, I know. You know, in some places, starlight can be so bright you can actually read by it. Is that in, so? In in, in huh. less polluted areas, I feel really lucky where we live because we can actually see the Milky Way. Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of places you can't see. All you the Milky see Way. is yeah, you don't you don't see the milkiness of it. All you see is some points of light. The representation of the goddess Newt mm-hmm. is said to represent the, the stretch of the Milky Way. I think in they used to put her likeness on the inside of a coffin, like stretched out wow. instead of stretched yeah. out in that backbend form, like we see in the mm. Aeon card, it's more as if you were under her and she's arched over you. Like, mm-hmm. so you're looking at her face on mm-hmm. that was imprinted on the, the lid of the coffin for the deceased, you know, wow. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that is the comfort on the journey. And, you know, we have, the idea of Nut and also Bina as goddess of sea and sky. There's a watery aspect as well as a starry aspect. 
Yeah, because the Milky Way, it's almost yeah. as if it's liquid in form. And Aquarius itself is a crypto water sign. Yeah. You know, it's an air sign, but a lot of people do think it's right, a water the sign. water bearer. Right, right. <laughs> right. And its relationship with Pisces is close to, in fact, mm-hmm. the, the watcher star of air is actually in Pisces, Fomalhaut. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's the at const- three degrees. The constellation Pisces. Aquarius yeah. pours the jug into the mouth of the fish where Fomalhaut is located. Right. And virgin goddesses, like Mary is a, is a queen of star and sky mm-hmm. as well. So there's something yeah, about Stella that. Maris. Yes, <laughs> The star exactly. of the sea. Exactly. There's something about that uh, conjunction of sea and sky that is fundamental to goddesses and fundamental Aquarius. to Aquarius. Well, they Aquarius. say, you know, Aquarius, yeah. if you remember the Golden Dawn title, the dweller between the waters. Yes. That's right. Daughter of the daughter firmament, of the firmament. Daughter of the firmament, dweller between the waters. And I think yeah. those are the waters of sea and sky. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. I think so absolutely, which you can also see in the chariot card, uh the the this the sky above. But and in this card in Rider Waite, you know, you can see the water as well of the sea or river perhaps. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because Probably when we get to the cardomantic mm-hmm. parts, you know, that idea of this card associated with long journeys. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, long journeys used to always be by sea. That's right. Now yeah. you can expand it to air travel, which seems also a lot seems more apt. Aquarian in some ways. <laughs> yeah. You know? But it's a, if you're taking a long journey now, you're more likely to do it by air than by sea. But you're going to go over the sea. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No matter what. Yeah, I tried to bridge the difference of sea and sky when I named my Aquarius perfume. I called it Streams of Stars because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it is both at yep. the same time. It's water and air and uh, the idea of long journeys. And, oh, this is interesting, too. I was, we've been watching a lot of sci-fi um <laughs> We watched a sci-fi series called The Expanse, which was quite good. And that made me, you know, had a long conversation with Randy about why is it that spaceships are called ships, right? You know, you could call them planes or you could call them trains, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's space, right? Yeah. But there's something about space that's like the sea. Yeah. And like all of the military in this in this show were navies, you know, but they're traveling through the air. Very interesting. Maybe it's just where we are as explorers of frontiers that the sky, space and sky seem as unknown and as vast as the sea in a way that the land just doesn't. So the associated majors are the magician and the star. I think that that's so interesting. You know, uh, we talked a lot about the powers of Mercury, but what the magician does, right, is he has the power of as above, so below. And what's above? The starry sky. Right. So it's like taking the power of the stars and bringing it grounded to Earth. Therefore, this card has such a magical quality about it. You know, such a, you know, um, ability to take intangibles and here in the sphere of formation to make things happen. Yeah, it's a beautiful card, too. It is. I've always loved this card. Not just because I have my moon here um, in this Deccan, but just in general, that whole mega-star combination in yeah. the sphere of the sun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about the best qualities of the mind to solve problems, cross frontiers, use the imagination... Yep. inspire hope. There's something about all of that embodied in this card. One thing that I think is kind of interesting is to consider the Hebrew letters associated with the majors and the magician is associated with Beth, Beit, and, uh, and meaning house. So that's kind of interesting in terms of like what we talked about with the fertility goddesses, you know, with the house being sort of the body of the land, but not the birth, as we saw with the Empress in the last card, not Dalith the door, but Beth the house. So the potentiality. Like the, the cradle that the dolly's in. Yes, the cradle of the dolly. Yeah. The idea that all things are contained within the house at this moment, all potentialities of the magician. It's his job to take them out of the house and get them on the road. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to think of the star as hay, as a window, 
the window of the house is what allows you to look into the future and see where you're going. If you want to think of of Tzadi as the star and the hook associated with, I don't know, there's there's something about being in the house and reaching for things outside the house. I don't know. I almost think of it as like the antenna on the house that transmits and receives the signal that gives you ideas about where you might go. I don't know. But to return to the um, Kabbalah material, so here we are in Tiferet. And I always think of Tiferet as, and sixes in generals as being the sphere of purpose where mm-hmm. you have a reason for doing what you do. Yeah, so we came from Givura, the awe and, and Tiferet severity. is actually where the Ruach is centered in and said to like radiate out from. So re- the reason, you know, makes mm-hmm. sense there. Yeah, the star of reason. Yeah, and the idea that Tiferet is uh, associated with beauty kind of harkens back to the virgin qualities of it, you know, the unexploded potentiality of the young woman, you know, and I, I recognize that to ferret as beauty probably has more to do with harmony and being in the right place. But there's also, to me, some concept of, you know, aesthetic beauty as well, in the sense that the six is associated with the sun and Apollo and music and, mm-hmm. you know, the rightness of things in their right time. I think it's interesting, too, that we have, you know, the star card here, and it's in Teferet, which is ruled by the sun, which is just another star. It's, yeah. it's like our, our internal star, you know? our. That's really interesting. Yeah, the idea that we are navigating from our own star to other to stars. O- yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I like that a lot. From our inner star to stars beyond. That it's our mind that helps us do that. Yeah, that helps us to connect with that higher self. Yeah, we we talk so much in the sword suit about the traps and curses of the mind, but we get a chance to see its power. And the fact that really the intellect is what makes us different it's what gives us that power of will and choice that we've been talking about on the fool's journey. And so here is where the gift is strongest and where we see whether it's um, the power of a theory or the power of ideas or the power of innovation or the power of principle. You know, these are things that drive us in a positive way or can if they're not out of balance. Yeah, the power of giving up the lower parts of the personality for that connection with the higher self seems to be evident here. Right. And it's so easy to take it too far. I mean, you know, we both have the thing where sometimes the mind just becomes a slave driver that, you know, <laughs> the poor body can barely keep up. Oh, yeah, I have that. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, I haven't eaten for, you know, 12 hours, but I have this thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? I I have the moon in this decan and, and I have the moon in the first house of the mm-hmm. body kind of yeah. thing. And uh, yeah. as ruler of my sixth house of health. Oh, wow. So I do have the tendency to abuse the body in favor of the pursuits of the mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like forgetting to eat or, you know. Or sleep or, 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 sleep or whatever it that. is that yeah. you need to do. Yeah. Right. One thing we didn't mention yet, the virtues and vices. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. The virtue is devotion to the great work and the vice is pride. Yeah. Which makes sense for a solar, you know, mm-hmm. a solar-centered sphere. Right. And you you can really think, you know, about what we've just been talking about with magic and how you know, magicians devote themselves to their own great works, whatever they are. But hubris is a real problem. And, uh, you know, and the fall of a magician is the greatest fall. Yeah. Right. In everything from the pacts of Faust to, you know, the sorcerer's apprentice getting in above his head and drowning, that's all uh, contained in, in that virtue and vice. Pride goeth. For the fall, as they say. Right. And the magical vision is the vision of the harmony of things. The harmony of things. Harmony yeah. of things. Yes. Which 
does kind of, you can almost imagine that as applying to the laws of science. Yes. Yes. The harmony of things. The music of the spheres is, I think, the way they used to think of it. Yeah, Right. The divine plan. Right. The Deccan significations are pretty good, um, pretty closely in accord to the interpretive meetings we started touching on. Uh, Picatrix says, beauty and position, having what is desired, completion, but also detriment and debility. And the image is a man who looks like a king who permits much to himself and abhors what he sees. Hmm. You know, I guess there's still shadows of the five and the thing that you're trying to escape from uh, using the resources that you have. The image of Agrippa from Agrippa is a man with a long beard. So these are, these are the analogs of kingship, you know, from the six, mm-hmm. the solar Tiferet thing, signification, understanding, meekness, modesty, liberty, and good manners. All things that will stand you in, in good stead on the road if you're traveling. You know how you have to kind of be on your best behavior when you're not at home? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As a stranger, one of your greatest weapons is civility. The, Cardomantic meanings are interesting. Itea's pretty much right on. He has, you know, many synonyms for being on the road, um, for finding your way, finding your passage to wherever it is that you're going. He also has uh, meanings of like messenger, envoy. And then he has in the reversal, he thinks of the six of swords as having to do with declarations, explanations, uh, manifestos, legal stuff. So, you know, if we think about the Aquarius cards as having intellectual structure of Saturn, you know, Mm -hmm. we think of Capricorn as being physical structures and Aquarius as being intellectual structures like the law, um, the rules, the constitution of our body politic, you know, the reversal as Atea sees it is the, the manifestation of that the the way we know that those rules are guiding our lives, um, even as we travel the roads that give us liberty. These are the the boundaries, the intellectual structures that limit that journey. You have both the freedom of Mercury and the restrictions of Saturn working together to guide the journey. There's uh, something about yeah. like Mercury and Aquarius too as being the ability for pattern recognition. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, both of them are gods of magic, in a sense. So there's definitely something about the formal structures of ceremonial magic and language that work together with those two gods. Saturn is a god of esoteric magic and secrets, and Mercury is a decoder of secrets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It also makes me think of, like, if you're a god of travelers, you need roads. Who builds roads, yeah, right? You right. know? Because yeah. <laughs> cause Mercury's not a builder. Mercury is the one who travels yeah. on the existing structures, but somebody's got to do yeah, the work. That's Saturn. That's Saturn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's something also, I'm trying to get to something about Mercury travels on the roads that Saturn builds. And Mercury also um, is a god of speedness. Well, of speedness. <laughs> Mercury is a god of speed and swiftness, yeah. while Saturn is a god of time. So there's a relationship between them two. He Mercury exploits the resources provided by Saturn. Yeah. And that's what's going on in this card, I think. That's super interesting. And exploits them well. Yeah. You know, we've talked about the relationship of Venus and Saturn, you know, with the Libra cards. And here we're talking really about the relationship of Mercury and Saturn uh, with the Aquarius cards, kind of. There's something, too, about what you just said about Mercury and Aquarius and Saturn, how Mercury uses those, exploits those resources provided by Saturn in the structure. But in the idea of Aquarius, like, what you do to improve yourself improves all. Like, mm-hmm. humanity, you know, mm-hmm. in the Aquarian sense. Yeah, the acts you undertake to better yourself are acts that are good for everybody, for humanity. Yeah, Yeah, on some level. Yeah, or can be. Right. Or can be, unless you fall over to the five or over to the seven. (laughs) Okay, um, Wade Smith? 
Yep. Okay. This is such an interesting card. Um, yeah, it's really enigmatic. It is. A lot of people are a little bit afraid of it, actually, because it doesn't have a happy affect to it. Mm. You know, neutral at best. Yeah, the way the figure is cloaked and kind of almost hunched over. It, they look like refugees. Yeah. Or ghosts. And I used to think, you know, is that ferryman Sharon? Worth considering. Worth considering. And I think, you know, the, the, the turbulence of the water in front is important. You're going from Away and the smoothness. from turbulence towards harmony. <laughs> right. Going towards a better life. Away and that can be five. true <laughs> whether you're a refugee from a, from war who needs help getting to the better place or whether you are um, a person who has just died and you need help getting to your place of final rest. Right. Fortunate Isles, perhaps, in the distance. If you're lucky, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and you need someone to help you navigate there. You can't do it on your own. I, I really think that there's something about the water in this card that relates to the stars, the pond of the star. So something about traveling, using the conscious mind to travel the seas of the unconscious to get where you're going. Historically, between, between the waters, yeah, 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 this is this can be a card of dreaming. It can be a card of shamanic journeys as well as physical journeys and journeys by water, which I think journey by water is one of the historic meanings of this. But it's definitely a journey of the mind, uh, something that, and a card of resourcefulness. It's sort of like I, I really think that there's something about thinking your way out of a paper bag you know you know you're in right. a tough situation you're gonna use your use brains your mind, yeah. yeah yeah to get yourself out of it yeah and i've also seen some description of this card as being success after trouble yes you know that whole um earned success makes sense if you think of you know they're moving away from the turbulent waters mm -hmm. towards calmer waters yeah i was doing some research on rivers yesterday because I was looking at rivers in the secret language of Tara Wald Amberstone and Ruth Amberstone's book. And they talk a lot about the rivers of the world as, as purifying waters. So the Ganges was supposed to have been created. You know, Mother Ganga was a goddess who, who was uh, at the behest of Brahma, Shiva and Vishnu was brought to earth to cleanse the ashes of fallen warriors. So when we think of rivers, what's important about rivers is that they're never the same. They flow. They too. flow. They're, they're fresh. Yeah. Right. So they move. They purify. They move. They give you fresh starts. And I think there's something about fresh starts in this card about the attempt to try and begin anew. The boat itself, this is interesting. I didn't uh, bring my... Uh, Secrets of the Wade Smith Tarot, Cats and Goodwins book with me. But that boat, they found a photograph of the property of Ellen Terry, Small Hythe Cottage. And, you know, they were kind of wondering whether where this image could have come from, because it's a landlocked area. It's not close to a river or the sea. But they found a photograph that showed a small pond on the property with a boat that looks just like that. That just gives me chills, the idea that Pamela Coleman Smith saw that boat and she put it in her card. Perhaps. Yeah. You know, just a little rowboat like that. The figure who's um, manning the pole there is dressed in red and blue, too, mm. which reminds me of, you know, Hokma and Binah, the colors of the parents that Tiferet is connected to. And mm -hmm. then the fact that there's a child in the boat, too, mm. reminds me of, you know, Tiferet as the son. Yeah, it <laughs> could be a family scenario. I, yeah. I always read that as orange, as, you know, mercurial. Oh, yeah, that but could, it be, could be, too. Also. It's hard, it's yeah, hard, it's to, hard, to, in, it's hard um, to see this card if it's supposed to be a faded red or orange. The pole that he's carrying makes me think of the magician, that posture from upper left to lower right, yeah. uh, the as above, so below thing. And also the blackness of the pole, mm -hmm. you know, to me says something about the potential that is trying to be realized. I often read black, I think people often read black as 
fertility as the unknown, as things mm -hmm. that could yet happen, uh, not necessarily just as death and the end of things, but it's the beginning of new life. This card is travel, long distance travel, whether water and air too. I don't know, the, the idea of the blackness as being potential makes me think of that travel can also be travel of the mind, philosophical journeys. And when you close your eyes, that inner space is blackness. It's potential. Yeah. 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 And this reminds me also of the fact that the magician has an infinity sign over his head, because these are not people who are leaving because they're on a pleasure cruise. You know, they're not doing it for fun. Right. They're leaving because of the uncertainty of their position. And they are trading one uncertainty for another that they think is better. So trying to harvest the potential of the moment, you know, the you know, trite old saying that, you know, crisis is the same thing as opportunity, right? You know, they're trying to magically transform what is an infinitely precarious situation into an infinitely hopeful one, you know, to change the nature of that um, uncertainty that they're dealing with. And everyone pretty much reads the star as a card of hope. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes hope is hope is a happy thing. And sometimes it's a desperate thing, right? right? right. Yeah, sometimes it's that which you're moving towards. And other times it's that which is forever beyond reach. Right. But either way, it's something you aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. And just look at how they're, you know, they're hunched over their they probably have all of their worldly possessions on their backs, you know, the clothes on their backs. And they're going towards the hope of being free and naked again and being okay with that, <laughs> being able to be vulnerable again. The great unknown and the wild blue yonder. <laughs> yeah. It's hard not to read this card at this time as a card of immigrants and refugees, you know, and people who are trying for something better. That depiction of it, yeah. Yeah, this particular one. Other Six of Swords are definitely don't have that flavor, but this one really does. A ferryman, wait said. Is this wait? Yeah. This is wait, yep. A ferryman carrying passengers in his punt to the further shore. And of course, the farther shore can also be a metaphor for death. The course is smooth and seeing that the freight is light. It may be noted that the work is not beyond his strength. Hmm. So that's about the magician's capacity. Mega hmm. says psychopomp. Yeah. Barrier of yeah. souls. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wanted to look up the, you know, some of the hymns to tonic Mercury, um, you know, but that's really more, I thought I'd save that for the, for the Virgo cards because that's more about traveling underground. Yeah. But, but I really love this idea of, Hermes psychopomp of Hermes Trismegistus, really, because all of the forms mm. of, you know, Hermes have that thought as well. Mercury have that promise of bearing travelers or messages to their ultimate destination without hindrance. <laughs> and again, that sea and sky thing. I think that, you know, those of us like you and me who love to swim, it's because it's like flying. Yeah. I could look at that card forever. I just think there's so much going on in it. I have a, a half of a note on my paper, which I'm just trying to, I think it's probably from Hewson. It says, wait the first to suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm so tired last night. <laughs> no idea what that is. I, it sounds like something I might have gotten out of Hewson. So I just want to quickly look at Hewson and see if. Oh, okay. So apparently wait was the first occultists to suggest that um, this card had to do with the journey by water. But yeah, mm. that's neither here nor there. Yeah. The only other thing that I wanted to say is that that farther shore, the, the look of it reminds me a bit of the foliage and of the star. You know, there's, the, it's very important that in most star cards, there's a, tree, thought, yeah. there's a tree or maybe two trees mm -hmm. and that the tree is said to have the bird of Thoth on it. Mm-hmm you know, the tree of knowledge, possibly. Mm -hmm. So this the star has this intimate relationship with Mercury itself, not just this card, but it has its own sort of um, quest for knowledge quality to it. And so I think that when you're looking at the farther shore in the Six of Swords, it's worth thinking, well, what if that is the shore of the star and the knowledge that you gain? Okay, so uh, Thoth? Yeah, what a cool card. It is so cool. Love this card. The... The sort of highlight of that card is the rosy cross or the, the mm -hmm. little rose cross at the center of, of the diagram. Yeah, which is 
surely a solar thing with its six golden squares. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that the cross is generally associated with the Christ figure who is associated right. with the sun. Ascended masters in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look at the back of any Thoth card, you will see that that cross is at the center of the big cross. There's the little cross and there's the big cross. Yep. I wonder if the little cross being here is sort of like a microcosm, macrocosm type thing. I like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the great face looking on the little yeah. face. Yeah. Yes. I can totally see that. So what's going on with the sword hilts here? They, um, they seem the same, they right? Are similar, but they're different colors. Mm. The top one is gold and yellow. There's a green one to the left. Oh, is that so? I want to see in the actual card, yeah, this copy, it's down. really hard to tell if... Um, yeah, and I printed mine out in black and white, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a bluish one, a greenish one, a purplish one, a reddish one. So they're probably uh, maybe planetary colors around the sun. Let's see. Yeah, so gold for the sun. You want to look and the, put the light yeah. on it, shine the light on it. Oh, yeah, that's much better. Yeah, there's definitely a, a tinge of a different color on yeah it might be greenish it might be greenish or bluish or something should really look at the german edition and yeah the better colored edition (laughs) so y'all know that the oto remastered uh the original paintings uh some years ago they're very very hard to find and they were put out by a german production company but um if you can get them it's too bad that the watercolors that were used back then some of them were fugitive and the Mm. colors have faded over the years so we may never know what the actual colors were that's too bad paint manufacturers are getting much better about that Mm -hmm. i suppose we should just be glad that they survived at all considering they were created in wartime exactly on paper on paper Right. right. So let's see. Some of the things that Crowley said is that uh, the card represents the celestial energy influencing the carob of the man. So we often associate carob That's with Aquarius. Aquarius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, his intelligence and humanity. Yeah, I think he said it's intelligence that's one to the goal, I think he mm-hmm. says. The perfect balance of mental and moral faculties. He says hardly one. He doesn't mean like barely one. He means that they were one with hardship, mm. I think. Hard to hold in an ever-changing world. He says that the hilts of the swords are in the form of the hexagram. The hexagram, it's probably worth talking about, even though what you see is, uh, you know, they, they you see them on a, on a square, on a circle, but there is implied the hexagram with the six swords. So the as above and so below the two interpenetrating triangles that you can visualize if you look at the card and the yellow sword hilt is the central upper one Mm -hmm. which is like the sun as kind of ruling over the other ones um so the faculties of reason are ascendant yeah Mm -hmm. the higher self of the sun the internal sun guiding the others in their courses the way the sun is central to the other planets guiding them in their orbits their points touch the outer petals of a red rose upon a golden cross of six squares thus showing the rosy cross as the central secret of scientific truth (laughs) that's the sort of thing that makes people join initiatory traditions (laughs) there's a secret (laughs) and you need to find out what it is what's most interesting about the card though is you gotta admit that background of the the fencing diagram i was trying to remember where you found that thing about the fencing diagram uh, because i know that that i thought that was in the prince of it might be in uh, duquette's book actually well Um, i looked up what he said about the six of swords and i didn't see that in there or is it in book of thoth somewhere it's mentioned that this is a fencing or maybe it's in the little white anyway it's mentioned that this is the background was drawn on a fencing diagram that was designed to allow the fencer to stand in an invulnerable position. Really? Yeah. It might, maybe it's in the, the little white book that comes with it where Lady Frida's notes are. Oh, so it, it could be a be Lady from, Frida note. It might mm-hmm. be from that. That's why I couldn't find it. I really wanted to know more about that because, you know, my son's a fencer. He's Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, precision is really important in fencing generally. I wanted to know more about that fencing diagram because today, at least, fencers 
fence on a piece. It's like a single line track. They're going back and forth on this track. And there's definitely something about, you know, when I try to understand fencing, which is very hard for me, um, my son will talk to me about it and he'll try to explain about timing. My timing was off. My timing was, you know, I need to work on my timing. Exactly. It's that relationship of speed and time and Mercury and Saturn and the idea that you have to especially in the weapon he's in, which is Saber. It's very fast. He says, you know, you're doing mental work before you make the attack to try and anticipate what's going on with your... It's like chess. (laughs) Yeah. He also sometimes says it's like rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) (laughs) You're basically trying to psych out what what would they do, you know? Um, And so before you even move, the whole thing is predetermined what's going to happen. You just don't know what it is. Yeah. Very mental. It's yeah. very mental. It's very mental. And it's and if you are off just slightly in your timing, then the point will go against you. And you have to be able to adjust whether you're going slower or faster, whether you're signaling that you're doing something or not, because that matters as well. So yeah. Balance yeah. and speed. Balance and speed. Yeah. Yep. And those are, in fact, like sabers uh, more than any other weapon, because they have the D-shaped handle, which is the characteristic of a saber sword. Yeah, there's definitely something, the whole color of the card is like a combination of gold and the mercury quicksilver. If you look at the Magus card, look at those radiating lines yeah. as compared to the radiating lines in the six. They, they're definitely visually similar. Right. It's not all of them that do that, where the projective geometry is so clear, mm-hmm. you know, that she's really using uh, sort of a code of of lines to create an effect. And there's a lot of star shapes in these intersections, the way the lines intersect. It's kind of like a spider web. And she really doesn't do this with every card, you know. Mm. In fact, in terms of those sort of radial or the the lines that create that effect on the card, I don't think any of the other swords cards have that. Mm. This card, and there's also an element of the circle squared in this card. No, oh, see yeah. the central circle and how mm-hmm. it's bordered by a square. Sure is. Which seems yeah. really appropriate. So, what is it about the circle squared? You know, it's that mathematical problem that's said to be. Impossible mm. to solve. <laughs> right. Yeah. I actually really often think of the uh, Six of Swords as having something to do with the internet. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. The net. I mean, and yeah, you get a net on this card. Yeah. In- Aquarius in general, but because of the electricity and the conductivity and yeah. it being like a nervous system, yep. you know? Being detached from the body, the mind out there in the ethers kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very Aquarian. Uh, it is a mental map. And in fact, there is a, there's a deck, which I quite like, called the Tarot of the 78 Doors. And the Six of Swords is a person working on a computer because of the uh, access. The door is the computer. (laughs) It has a door on each card and the door is the computer in that card. (laughs) I just have a quick quote I wrote down from Crowley that said that uh, the Six in general is consciousness in its most harmonized and balanced form um, mm. at its practical best. Talks about it as the sun, S-O-N, sun, being the interpretation of the father. So I guess Kopic says something about this Deccan as being heaven and earth. So there's a relationship between taking the theoretical understanding of the divine and applying it to yeah. mortal, being Somehow both human and divine. connecting the known and the unknown uh, the point that connects yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And if you think of Christ as always being, the Christ figure always being spoken of as both human and... And divine. Divine, yeah. Yeah, this is the point where they meet. The Golden Dawn description says in this card, the rose is re-established. And when I think of the word re-established, well, I think about, you know, obviously it was all exploded as we saw in the five. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. established sounds very... Saturnine, like it was restabilized yeah. by the influence yeah. of Saturn as the ruler of Aquarius, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of like, you know, when you're designing something on a design program and you, you, you're not sure whether it's straight, so you fire up a grid to see if it's, you know, where it should be. Okay, good. All right. So I think we're on to Tabula Mundi now. Yeah. So, um, 
This is one of my favorite cards of yours. I have, you, I remember you gave me a print, so it's hanging in my office. Love this card. Yeah, I really like this card too. Yeah. So if you compare with the Magus and the Star card of Tabula Mundi, you'll see they both, both the Magus and the Star have that spiral galaxy formation, mm -hmm. you know, with the Magus, he's kind of holding it in his hand and pulling it down from above. And with the star, it's, it's circling that central star. And in this card, you'll see again, that spiral formation kind of connecting the above and the below the uh, big sextant above uh, and the orrery, orrery, that's a hard word to say. Sure is. The orrery below. So the, the sextant, you know, is a instrument of science and navigation and um, allows one to chart their course um, by taking a sight on a distant star. The word sextant is kind of cool, too, because it has to do with the word six, obviously. Oh, yeah. um, it's one-sixth or 60 degrees of a circle. And if you see the shape of it, it kind of has that shape of one-sixth mm -hmm. one of, of the circle. With the arc beneath it, yep. Yep. Below it, the orrery is a model of a heliocentric model or a model of the solar system, the planets. And if you look closely, you'll see that the little arms that come out from the central pivot mm -hmm. are all little swords. So there's six swords. Oh, <laughs> I never even realized that yeah. there were swords and six of swords. <laughs> yeah, those are those. If you look closely, those are six swords. Um, each one balancing a planet, one of the uh, six. Six planets around the the seventh sun. Oh, and I see that. That's interesting. You have Leo foregrounded, so Aquarius is the distant. Yeah, um, the distant goal. star. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you look at the for those listening, if you look at the the edge of the orrery, it's got the zodiacal signs um, around it. Leo's kind of foregrounded, which means Aquarius would be in. The distance, right. right? So it is that that star in sight, off in the distance, that you're you're taking a sight on. Um, yeah, and I love the way the sextant has, like, you know, it's got the the tool for looking far away on it, but the but the measurements for applying it right here. Yeah, right. So it's immediate and it's far. Uh, it's using the tools of the mind to to bring the far away thing to you. Yeah. And there's something about these two different instruments that just seemed very mercurial and scientific to me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the background of the stars, of course. And measurement, of course, is Saturnian. Yeah. So I, I almost think that like if you have Mercury-Saturn problems in your chart, this is the card to remediate that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Luckily, I don't have Mercury-Saturn yeah. problems. I have a good Mercury-Saturn. Neither of us Saturn. do. Well, I wouldn't say my Saturn's great, but it's in a great aspect with Mercury. Wait, you have Saturn in Taurus, though, no, right? No, Aries. I have Saturn in Taurus. I have Saturn oh, in okay. Aries, which yeah. isn't great. So you've got sextile. Oh, we try we, I have, uh, Aries. Uh, oh, you have Mercury and Sagittarius. Of course you do. Sag, yeah, because so you have trying Mercury. I have Saturn trying um, pretty closely yeah. to uh, Mercury, which is pretty good. <laughs> right. Of course, your Mercury's in Sag because it's next to your Sun. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, um, and you have the starry sky above it. This was one of the cards that looks, they all look amazing in black and white, but this is one of the ones that is a yeah, real standout in black really, and white. Yeah. Oh, that one reminds me of the colors. So rich salmon is mm -hmm. the color and you see that in the, um, kind of, uh, table that the orrery is on. And then mm -hmm. you've got all the mercurial colors, yellow, purple, gray, and indigo flecked violet, mm -hmm. um, which you see the, the, the sky itself is that indigo color, mm, and a lot of the I stars that. in that galaxy are in a, a pale violet color. Uh, then the colors of the star also are violet and sky and blue mauve and white-tinged purple. Wow. That contrast of the indigo and the salmon is just one of my favorite things ever. I know, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> it's so it beautiful. It really is a nice combination because they're yeah. almost complementary colors, mm -hmm. um, opposites, so they really kind of flash against each other yeah and i really love drawing those uh spiral <laughs> galaxies it's just fun <laughs> must be fun <laughs> it is how do you do that just lots of just lots of dots and, and <laughs> symmetry but each arm is kind of like spiraling around in other directions it's just yeah. i don't know i so find i that, find them fun too uh 
well, it's actually violetish white, mm-hmm. pale, very pale white and violet um, paint. Wow. Or ink in this wow. case. God, you must go blind doing this, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you've got spirals everywhere, really. Mm-hmm. Star card, Magus card. Yeah. So they were bound to be in here. And you can see looking at the three cards together, the colors are really, um, mm-hmm. they're very compatible with each other. Mm-hmm. I think as a triptych, that's pretty, pretty awesome looking. Yeah, there's something about, I don't know, those two figures that as the Magus and the star figures, you don't always see this with majors, but, but they, they really seem to be people, <laughs> you know, just characters in a drama. Like you don't feel like that when you see the tower. You don't, as Mars, you don't feel like that when you see the Wheel of Fortune or, you know, and you don't feel like that when you see the sun, really. But they just seem like... Like avatars. Avatars, yeah. yeah. Also, because I think there's a relationship between them and an understanding between them in the sense that, you know, the star goddess was a traveler, too. She was a person who went underground, you know, she in the the story of Inanna, Mm -hmm. you know, she has that relationship with Mercury in the sense that they go from places where they belong to places where they don't, you know. So they are, in a sense, watching over the traveler in this card, ensuring that the journey will be a safe one. Yeah, and the fact that the sun is sort of central to the card, Mm -hmm. you know, for Tiferet feels right. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the the spirals in the Magus, and are are those you know they they're golden is are they like the sun are they meant to be like the sun yeah, you know yeah so there's definitely a the journey of the sun through yeah. its mm-hmm, through its orbit yeah because yeah, mercury's relationship mm-hmm. with the sun yeah in my mind little is buddy. always uh, yeah it's always <laughs> yeah. kind of cemented together yeah the other thing that i really didn't have a place to put it but it's the idea that uh, the sons of mars phobos is associated with this decan it's kind of interesting in that there is a fear that attends every journey, you know, but it seems like these cards particularly give you the resources to deal with that, you know, was, the mind's conquering conquest of fear. I was reading something last night in relation to Tifra, actually, but it, um, I think we're almost ready to look at practical applications. Yeah, might as well. All right. Uh, Six of Swords. Something that comes up for you a lot? I yeah, think so. Yeah, I actually get this card a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a welcome card. Yeah. You know? Yeah, usually it's about some form of insight. Because your moon's in this deck, and I bet it has all kinds of resonance for you when it comes yeah, up. Yeah, it comes up quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. It's almost hard to say in what context, because it's so often it's... Yeah, and I think, you know, it has, these are the the positive qualities of the detachment. Yeah. It's definitely about a goal insight and -hmm. the means to it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? And not being too bogged down by emotional stuff that gets in your way of doing what you want. Yeah. (laughs) Being able to navigate towards a distant goal. It's like, yeah, knowing what you want, knowing, Mm -hmm. um, being able to imagine what you want clearly and- yeah. you know, and work towards it. Looking at a goal through a clear sky so yeah. you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get this a fair amount. Um, I, I seem to have gotten it a lot when I've been on the road, but I guess I'm on the road a lot. And just like even doing small errands, like my Wednesday chores, I think the very best story I have about this, and I apologize to anyone who's heard it before because I've told the story a lot, but um, <laughs> so I got this one morning. It was a Wednesday morning. Mercury's day. And I went as usual out with Zoe to do the groceries and the chores and the shopping and stuff. And, uh, and it just so happened that I was in Hadley at Mercury hour, going to a library, which is very mercurial. I walked in the door of the library. It was a library I'd never been to before in my life. I don't usually go to that one, but it had, they had a book I wanted. And the one of the librarians was sitting there sort of wringing her hands at her computer and she was working on an Excel spreadsheet and she looks up at me and she says, do you know anything about Excel? And I'm like, do I know anything about Excel? 
<laughs> so she she asks the Mercury native, the Virgo native, who yeah. walks in at Mercury hour on Mercury day while yeah, she's working on a spreadsheet funny. for help. And I solved the problem in eight minutes. Yeah, <laughs> so that's my best that's story about Mercury. Knowledge. Applied yes. knowledge. And <laughs> applied, you know, applied cartomancy, too. I mean, she that's had like... her uh, Six of Swords moment... Um, Earn success. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it just makes you realize when stuff like that happens and it, you know, and, and the, the match with your card is like ding, 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 ding on every level. It makes you realize that you're living in the magic of the universe, you yeah. know? You may think that it's all of your design, but <laughs> you're just a, a player in this script. I've had it a lot of times that are just in terms of like having debates or arguments or banter or whatever it is. It's just a card with a lot of words in it. Yeah. And mental. Yeah. Mental um, banter. Especially with my son, my Aquarius son. You know, we're really the two talkers of the family. He went through a phase. In fact, he's still in this phase. In fact, he's never been out of this phase where, you know, I used to say, okay, what what's coming out of your mouth? Is it demand, argument, or complaint? Because it's always one of those. <laughs> and, and, and I remember saying to him one night over dinner when he was arguing about something or other, it's like, could you argue with your father for a little while? I'm getting really tired. And he's like, no, it's not nearly as much fun because he doesn't react right, as it happens. <laughs> My moon is like right on his mercury. And it's just like, you, if he that opens his mouth, releases the torrent. <laughs> mine yeah. comes open too. And it's just like no yeah. stopping. And a lot of the time, Randy's just like, would you two shut up? Would you just give it a rest? And I'm like, sure, after I've had the last word. Him too. So there's never a last word. Anyway, so that's... I can see that. Yeah, that's how that works out. <laughs> and I can see the Taurus Randy just <laughs> being like, like, enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Putting up the wall. <laughs> yeah. All right, so... Uh, so does he have Mercury in Taurus, Randy? Uh, he does. Right, he so that's does. square to... Exactly. Mm, Aquarian Mercury. Yeah. And, you know, and I can deal with that because I have Mercury in Virgo. And a lot of the time it's me like reading his silences and trying to figure out what they (laughs) mean and decoding them, which I can do. And when you when you see Randy and Noah talking, they do talk a lot to each other, but it's like... Randy will be driving him somewhere and Noah will be carrying on a sports monologue for two hours. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway... Okay, so uh, shall we try to sum it up? Sure. It is the card, as we said, of science or earned success, science being knowledge to know. Long distance travel, whether via water or air, or philosophical mental journeys. See your sky and the reaching of the mind for the distant navigating star. We talked about um, ooh, St. Bridget and Candlemas and Imbolg. And the Feast of Stars. Yeah. Feast of Newt, the Virgin Lights, um, weather divination, so much going on in there. We talked about the Aquarius rulers, Saturn providing the discipline and Uranus providing the innovation that leads to scientific discoveries. That's right. Um, Mercury exploiting the gifts of Saturn. Uh, we talked about the comfort of the airy planet being in air, in the sword suit. We talked about the connection with the higher self. We talk about uh, Mercury's comfort as a god of the road and a decoder of secrets. Mm. We talked about the rosy cross and the yeah. fencing diagram. We talked about the sun as another star and Mercury's compatibility with the sun. We talked about rivers as fresh starts purifying waters and the pool of the star, the nature of hope and fresh beginnings, the harmony of things, music of the spheres, all of those relationships of Mercury and Saturn, heaven and earth and the connection between the known and the unknown or the conscious mind bridging the innovations from the unconscious mind. Yeah, the human and the divine combined. We Mm, talked about taking a sight on the stars finding your place, the mind's ability to conquer phobos or fear. The flip side of being a traveler in terms of the the rules of the road, the structures, the intellectual structures that determine what road you take. Oh, uh, the role of uh, the ferryman is mm. possibly being um, possibly being Sharon of the ri- river sticks. 
And moving away from turbulence and towards balance and stillness. Towards refuge. Journeys by water and sky, as you said. The star is being hope and potentially something that's always in the distance. (laughs) Right. Something to aspire to. Something to aspire to. Something that provides direction, if not an always an endpoint. Yeah, that sometimes it's all about the journey. Yeah, that reminds me of the Eight of Wands a little bit, the vector of the Yeah. Of Mercury and Sagittarius. I almost think that, you know, Mercury and the Jupiter ruled sign is about the distance that you can travel, and Mercury and the Saturn ruled sign is about the end point you keep in sight. What you can actually achieve. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Shall we call it done? Yeah, let's call it done. (laughs) Okay. So that was a fascinating journey, literal journey of the mind with the card of science. And we will be back with one of the most interesting conflict-filled cards of all, the Seven of Swords, personal favorite. (laughs) And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista and if you'd like your very own fortunes wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug we have those too you can find them at our red bubble shop the address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop go on get yourself something you know you deserve it happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane We so appreciate your support.